0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. Hey, good evening, guys. Good evening. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Good evening. Good evening. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shop. We also have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash woodshop life. And stay tuned in the end of the episode to hear about which one of us is going to depart from the show. That's a cliffhanger. It's, it's the end for one of us. Stay tuned. But anyway, Guy, we'll go ahead and get started with you. What do you have... Uh,
1: Force. This comes from Monty and Monty says, hello there. <clears throat> I'm curious what, what you do when your local lumber store doesn't have what you want or need. We have one hardwood dealer in town and the nearest next supplier is three to four hours away each way. Now, that's quite a distance. The local place has a lot of the most common stuff, but every once in a while I hit a wall when looking for something they don't carry. I've heard of people ordering lumber either over the phone or online and having it shipped to them. I think Guy has mentioned calling his local store and having them deliver it to his door. I don't know if this would be a similar process or something else entirely than XMani. Well, the the, the what he mentioned that what I do is just that's just something my local guy does is delivers.
2: Mm.
1: So it's it's not unusual because they they delivered. It's a very, very large lumber mill. It's actually one of the largest in the Midwest, and they have trucks all over the city every day, delivering wood to all the cabinet shops in town. So um, I've been buying wood from them for a long time. Anyways, what I typically look for if if I can't get it from the people that normally deliver to me, there is another. Uh, outlet in town. but I hate buying from them because they are so incredibly expensive. Mm. i'm I you're talking like twelve dollars a board foot for maple expensive. Mm. Wow. just ridiculous wow. prices. But if you need that board and you need it now, they kind of got you over a barrel because they don't the the local stores here like Home Depot and Lowe's, they don't have anything but pine and red oak. That's it. If I have time, and I'm looking for you know I'm I'm in the, the the preparation stages of a project, and I know how much wood I'm going to need, and it's not like I need it today. I tend to really look in Craigslist. There's a lot of local sawyers around here, and some of them are garbage, yeah. But some of them are very good, and they've got decent wood. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes it's been sitting around for a year or two. Sometimes it hasn't. So you have to take that in consideration. So what about you, Sean? What do you do when you can't find what's your regular guy?
0: I think everything you mentioned, I've not ordered anything online. So I know we can talk on that, but I've got my main supplier. That's about 30 minutes one way away from me. And if they don't have anything I have I, I mean at last resort I go to the plywood place that has some uh hardwood and that's the place that I got my really nice bubinga from, Quarterson Babinga. Um they had that stashed away. It was on the pricey side, but where else am I gonna get Quarterson Babinga? Um so you pay the prices because that's all the only option you have. So other than those two, Craigslist, like you said, was a good a good mention. I know shoot, probably eight years ago I got some really really nice old cherry that was about 40 or 50 years old that's been sitting in a barn that was some of the nicest cherry I've ever had um, that way off of Craigslist so that's definitely something that I keep my eye on as well just to uh, see anything like that and snap it up but that's that's pretty much all I got.
1: For
2: personal projects I, I go to American Hardwoods here in Tony, Alabama and it's about 30 minutes away from me. It's not uh, the highest of quality hardwood, but it's, it's reliable in the sense that it's properly dried, killed, dra- kiln dried, um, that uh, I trust that uh, it's been uh, dried appropriately so that I can actually work with it and it's furniture ready, I guess, in terms of uh, moisture content. Uh, so that's always a, a nice, reliable place. And I do like to go to that place for more of my personal projects. Because, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily spend a lot of money. But for client based projects, I almost always order the wood online from, well, I guess not online. I call them from Erie and Lumber in, uh, in Pennsylvania. I can't remember the name of the city in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter because I don't go there anyway. I just order it from them. Um, and why do, you, tend- why do you
1: order from them versus the local guy?
2: Because the local guy is very, very proud of his product and mm-hmm. charges more than if I were to get buy it from Erie and Lumber. I know if I have any complaints, they which I've never have, they are extraordinarily reliable with their product and it ends up being cheaper even with the freight shipping hmm. to buy it from Erie and Lumber. And I feel like it's just as good if not a better product than the person locally who has a great product, but they're definitely a lot better than American hardwood. It's har- hobby hardwood in Newmarket. Great product, but it's much more expensive and he knows he has a very good product. So, and he knows that in terms of what he has comparatively to what's around town, it's the better product. So he charges accordingly. Can you so,
0: spell the Irian lumber for folks listening?
2: Yeah, it's I R I O N. Irian lumber, and i would say about so far this year, two out of the three commissions that I've had, I've—I bought from them because it just ended up being easier and more reliable, hmm. and a, a, what I thought to be a reasonable price to be charging my client.
1: Have you ever, have you ever bought from a, a local sawyer, just a guy cutting up logs in his backyard? Kind of. I thing? sure
2: did. I sure did. I had a whole bunch of cherry that. <laughs> I had bought from someone in Decatur and I picked it up. It was about 300 board feet of cherry and I brought it back and I I built a few projects from it, but it was just so much lumber that I didn't know what to do with it when I moved into our new house and my new shop that I ended up just selling it at really deep discount. I think something like a a dollar a board foot for my friends, you know? Really? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was good cherry. It was, but I just—it uh, was better for me to have gotten rid of it than to have deal to deal with that much lumber. It was—it was more than I needed to deal with at that time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, uh, I generally to answer his question, I generally will order online uh, for client projects, and then I'll just try to find you know a decent deal here locally, and sometimes that means going to, you know. Um, american hardwood who doesn't have the greatest product but they have a lot of the domestics available you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. yeah so. all right Who's got right. the next one we i or, think uh, sean
0: i think that is we keep us going all right.
2: so this uh, question is from Corey, and he says hi guys and guy i wrote you a few, a few weeks back about a glue up question. And the advice that you gave was spot on. Thank you for clearing up the questions that I have had on the topic. Uh, Once again, you guys rock. And Guy, you mentioned to place my cherry boards outside in the sun for a day to darken them up. Wow, did that do the trick. It is tips like that that really make you guys stand out compared to the other podcasts. I'm on to another project now, and that is building my grandkids toy dump trucks for Christmas. Here, I have another glue-up question. A neighbor gave me a quart of type bond cold press for veneer glue. I was going to try to use it like regular wood glue. I do not think this would cause any issues, but I thought I would run it past you guys to see if I am missing anything. Is there an issue with using veneer glue like this? And I would say the answer is no, that the type bond cold press for veneer glue is ultimately type bond. PVA glue with uh, with tint and some type of thickeners and also uh, additional solids uh, that stop it from bleeding through and uh, tint to stop it from mattering as much if it does bleed through. Uh, That is what I believe the cold press glue uh, is. And so I don't think there should be an issue. If anything, you might have a little bit of a darker glue line because I believe the Type on cold press uh, for veneer glue is a little bit darker, but in terms of uh, its uh, legitimacy as a normal wood glue, absolutely go ahead and use that if that's what you want to do. Uh, just realize that it is a little darker uh, and also understand the reasoning why it is a cold press veneer glue and why uh, it's tinted and has those solids and thickeners in there uh, is, is so that it doesn't, you don't get the creep and the bleed through into the veneer. Guy, what do you think? You do a lot more veneering than I do.
1: Uh, I, you, you basically said it all right there. I mean, it's PVA glue with yep. extra solids in it, so it doesn't bleed through the veneer. Yep, that's yep. it. It'll still work fine for any other glue up you have.
2: Now, let me ask you: What about bent lamination?
1: Well, you can use PVA for bent lamination,
2: but there's a limit, yeah. Would you say that there's a limit to it, I, like a, maybe a drastic curve or something? Might not. I be I don't know if there's
1: a limit to it, but you're going to get a hell of a lot more spring back than you will with using a urea resin glue.
2: Right on. Yep. Okay. So, cool. You know, I've,
1: I've for me when I when I glue up veneer or do bent laminations, I don't even bother with PVA glue anymore or cold press veneer. It's it's all urea resin. Yeah. Or I've I've used uh, high glue,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: which is very good also.
0: Yeah, I use that a good bit. Now, one thing I will mention just to uh, because I read the uh, instructions on that glue, yeah, it does say it is uh, specifically designed for veneering and is not suited for other types of assembly applications. Really? Yeah.
1: Typon says that.
0: Yeah. Huh. Now would I use it for other stuff? Probably. But, you know, I, we got the hard-hitting facts for our listeners, so I just thought I'd throw it out there.
1: It might be one of those things like the, on a bottle of shampoo, like you're supposed to wash your hair twice.
0: Or don't put it in your eyes type thing.
1: Yeah, I think they're just trying to get you to make sure you have, buy two <laughs> gallons of glue from them. One for veneering and one for glue-ups.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, thicker, like you're saying. Uh, it's a modified PVA emulsion. Don't know what that means. Um, not not that smart, but I just thought I would read straight from their website, but I agree. I would try it, but then again, you know, I'm not building a space shuttle, at least yeah. I don't think.
1: <laughs> I've, I have used it to glue stuff up and didn't have any problems.
0: Yeah, it's it's not as, the bond strength isn't as high as a traditional type bond original. But again, you know, just depends on what you're using it for. Many them yeah. thought I would read that part. Would I use it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're
1: you're ignoring the instructions from the manufacturer.
0: Yeah, I probably wouldn't use it on a commission piece, but my own. You know, you got to take risks. That's a good. That's a good bottle of glue. You can't waste it. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely. I won't waste it. All right, next one's on me. Yep. Hi, guys. Thanks for all the hard work you put into this podcast. It is extremely educational and very helpful. I'm sure you discussed it in some form previously, but I wanted to ask if each of you can describe the equipment you use for spraying. Does it handle different types of finishes, i.e. paint, poly, etc.? And would you buy the same equipment again or switch to a different one? Thank you, Omer. Well, I didn't buy mine. Guy, the awesome fellow on the other end of this podcast, um, gave me his Fuji Q3 Platinum three stage with a T70 gun. That's a mouthful, but graciously you handed that down to me, and I've been using that. Come, uh, I have a wide array of tips from 0.8 millimeter up to 2.5. I've used it for spraying poly and spraying very thinned latex paint. Uh, it worked, but I had to had to go quite hard and heavy on the thinning. Would I buy it again? I think if I had the the option and the opportunity to spend a little bit of money and get a Q4 for a four stage, I would probably do that. This is a fantastic machine, um, especially if you don't use it for painting. You can do the paint. Like I said, and you got to thin it. Um, I'm not an ungrateful guy, but I would probably go with the uh, next time, send me a Q4. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great machine. Uh, it will spray poly like like no other. Shellac it's a fantastic machine, lacquer, all that jazz. It's, it's great for that. Um, but if you're heavy in painting latex paints and stuff and primers, um, I'd probably step up to a four or five stage, probably a four, uh, and give that a go. But this is a great machine, highly recommended on the items that I said. Um, that's, that's the machine and the, the gun that I have. Um, guy, what did you move to from this Fuji Q3?
1: I have a Graco. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. for the life of me, I can't remember the model number. But it's a, it's a five-stage machine. Yeah. Oh, what's the model number? Of that? Oh, I hear we type in.
0: Yeah, tell us we.
1: Tell me what I have. Oh, I
0: think it's called the Finish Pro.
1: Okay, it's the Finish Pro. So that gun will do, that system will do just about anything. And Sean had mentioned about shooting latex out of that, that three-stage Mm. that's absolutely true. You got to thin the heck out of it for it to work. Almost to the point of it's not worth doing.
2: Yeah.
1: Thing to remember is that you can get waterborne conversion varnish and waterborne lacquers that are pigmented. Yep. And they actually, they, they actually look better than paint. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Um, The one I have, it's it's a five stage. Mm -hmm. Um, It works really well. I mean, I have absolutely no complaints. I shoot a lot of shellac. I shoot a lot of uh, conversion varnish, and I've shot lacquer only a couple times because it sinks up the whole house, and my wife complained. Yeah, Um, water based poly, it's it's unbelievable. Does Mm -hmm. a great job. Now, if you're Putting out your own hard-earned cash for one of these, a three or a four stage, I think is more than enough. To be yeah. honest with you, mm-hmm. it really comes down to the gun. Um, mm-hmm. Greco has a good gun. I was also really happy with the gun on the um, Fuji.
0: Fuji, yeah, it's a great gun. Yeah, I can't compare, it, but it's, I know it's great.
1: <laughs> now we, you, you have the Greco, and you also have an Apollo, right?
0: I do,
2: yeah. So Graco sent me one, but then I had an Apollo before that, uh, which was an 800, Apollo 800, which was about 20 years old. And well, at the time it was 20 years old. And I refurbished that and bought a new gun, an aftermarket gun that's very similar to like a, a, a Graco or Fuji gun, uh, some off brand name called Aerojet. And I used it with that. And that was a three-stage system. And that was great and perfect. Um, and then Graco sent me one. And I used it for a little while. And Apollo also sent me one. And that's actually the one that I use the most.
1: Why do and you I, like that over the Graco?
2: I like the gun better. Really? I feel Yeah. I feel like I have no metric to tell you why I prefer it over the Greco but I do it it feels more substantial it feels like a better machined piece of equipment the gun does that's about all I can tell you I, I know how to adjust it really well it sprays beautifully so did the Greco the Greco sprayed beautifully I think I didn't like the clunkiness of the bottom bottom pan as much you know but you can you know you can mount it vertically but for whatever reason i didn't uh yeah i just i just prefer the apollo more so than the graco i don't know why
1: no yeah, uh, i was just just wondering
2: what stage yeah. is your graco my Greco. they're both five stage okay send me a graco <laughs> <laughs> yeah there I you would, go i would it is currently with a friend <laughs> out on his farm get because he needed to use it yeah, get, get <laughs> but it back. uh but yeah i mean sure i i have two systems it's not like I really need them, but I, I actually do keep the second one around because I uh, loan it out to a lot of people.
1: So, do you charge, or you no. just no? Lo- oh. No, I
2: just loan it out, Mister oh, Box. Somebody needs it, or whatever. That's nice. nice. I loan it out. Yeah, That's nice. So, I mean, it, I would still use it. It's a perfectly good gun, but again, it's it's just a personal preference why I, I like one over the other. But latex, yeah, don't even bother. Like, it's not. I, I would say if if it's furniture, no. Not worth it yeah. to spray latex in even a five stage. Because really? you still have to th- yeah, you still gotta thin it.
1: Not as much. I have right. shot latex out yeah. of it. And it, it it does shoot it. And I didn't use I didn't really thin it. I used flow troll. Yeah, sure. And I put some of that in there, not much either, and it worked really well. Yeah. So
2: I just think for furniture, though, latex, I don't know. It's its not yeah, –
1: it I just doesn't paying, have the paying, durability. I was painting some doors a while back.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was doing the big old bookcase cabinets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that helps. Uh, let's go back to Guy. What do you got for okay. us?
1: This question comes from Matthew, and it says, Hi, Guy, Hui, and Sean. I have a question about pre-finishing and glue. I know that the generally recommended best practice when pre-finishing is to tape off any surfaces that will later be receiving glue. I, I don't know if you want to tape off the surfaces that are actually receiving the glue. It's around <laughs> around the surfaces, so that when right, you squeeze right. out, it's not all over the place. However, I'm building a project that is going to have basically a grid of cross lap joints and taping off all those surfaces sounds really annoying. Yeah, it does. Well,
0: I think he was saying when he pre-finishes, you tape off the areas that will get glue, so you don't put pre- and you finish on those areas.
2: Ah, uh, okay. I
1: oh, think. okay. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So taping off all surfaces sounds really annoying. If I use epoxy as my glue instead of yellow wood glue, can I get away with not taping off the glue surfaces? The joints I am making should be pretty strong, so the glue is really just there to stop things from shifting. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, I read the question wrong. So, mm. yeah, if you're pre-finishing, you definitely want to tape off the the, the areas that are receiving glue. Yeah. The thing is, PVA needs the open wood pores to stick together. epoxy you could use because the the epoxy will stick to that. You could also use high glue Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because the high glue will stick to anything. Okay. Um, And not really worry about it. I pre-finished quite a bit and I don't really tape off anything. Mm. I just, you know, spray it and don't put a bunch on where those joints are. And I may take a little piece of sandpaper and yeah, rough them up a little bit, but ninety nine percent of the time I'm using hide glue, right?
2: Okay. Unless it's
1: a, unless it's a plywood project,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm using hide glue. If it's plywood, I'm just using regular PVA, and in which case I'm not pre finishing it because yeah. it's a plywood box. Yeah. So I don't know what do you, what do you think, Sean?
0: I have a hard no time remembering to pre finish, so that's not a problem for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I when I pre-finish, I when I do pre-finish, I do tape off. I can't answer on the epoxy. My OCD probably wouldn't allow me to <laughs> finish those areas and tenons and stuff, and so I, I wouldn't do it. But that's just my OCD kicking in.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying I f- I purposely put finish on the stuff.
0: No, no, yeah. It's just sometimes
1: yeah. it gets on there, and it's like,
0: I don't care. No, I'm, I, yeah, I know. I'm just reading, you know, what Matthew's asking about. If he uses epoxy, does he have to do all that and blah 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 blah? I, I don't know. I guess my answer is I don't know about the epoxy, but i I would agree with what I would agree with what you said. If you say it can, then I I believe you. Darn it, yeah, no. you get my vote.
2: I think if he's using epoxy, he doesn't need to tape it. But don't go looking for trouble in the sense that don't just slather a whole bunch of finish on the tenants. Like there's no need for that. But yeah, I, th- I think I'd be fine if it were just epoxy. Yeah, I would be. Yeah, And you probably want to use a slow cure epoxy anyway, if you got a whole bunch of cross lap joints and whatnot, and maybe a little more open time anyway. So might end up being the better glue to use for that as well.
1: Yeah. I misread the question. I thought he was asking about, I don't know why I thought that, but I thought he was talking about, you know, taping it off so you don't get glue squeeze out.
2: Well, that's a thing too, but yeah. Um, but I don't worry about that. that that's,
1: that's what I, yeah. I don't worry about that at all either again, cause I use high glue. So that stuff just comes off with cold water. So yep. anyways, sorry. <laughs> but I, hope, I hope that answers your question, Matthew,
0: man, I'll tell you what we got, we got three or four answers. One of those will work. I promise. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All
2: right. All right. What do you got for us? This is Joshua from the Black Dog Woodworks. Hi, guys. Awesome podcast as always. And thank you for answering some of my previous questions. I really appreciate the feedback that you have been able to provide. My question today is about mobility versus stability. I do the majority of my woodworking out of one half of a two-car garage, and I often switch between power tool focused projects and hand tool projects depending on the project. My project list, both for clients and for my wife and myself, is always changing so it seems that my workflow and my shop setup changes on a regular basis. My bench and assembly table are built on locking casters, making them easily mobile, but not stable enough for serious hand tool work. How do you balance stability and mobility? Also, how do you incorporate adequate dust collection with the power tools when you are mobile? I have a three and a half horsepower Harbor Freight dust collector with four inch hose, but I have not yet installed any fixed piping in my shop. I'm currently moving it from machine to machine. Would you recommend putting it in a corner and running pipes along the ceiling to drop down to the machines? Thank you guys, Joshua. Uh, So the first question that he has pertains to mobility versus stability. Now, I believe all of us have... a a good majority of our tools on mobile bases. And for me, uh, there are some mobile bases that are absolute crap. And we talked about them uh, before. And the really good ones that (coughs) that I like are the portamates. And I believe guy, you like the portamates as well. Um, But what he talks about here are the workbench, something very stable. And I recommend looking into the, Rockler, I think, has them, or uh, Woodcraft has them as well, and there are these workbench casters that ultimately you can flip up and have them uh, stable, and you could probably shim up a corner or whatnot of that workbench, and it'll be a solid uh, solid surface that's, that's locked down on all the corners as opposed to... Um, having one floating up because uh, the caster is up. Now the downfall of that is that is not ex- uh, not as quickly mobile as maybe sort of the portamates or whatnot. Another option that I've used that I use for my assembly table, and that's a table really does not move ever at all, is the um, leveling foot caster. So it is a relatively small caster, but is able to um, balance a lot of weight. But the back of it has a rubber foot that you can lower. Now, this is a, a, a caster or, or a locking foot that really is not made to move a lot. But every now and then, if you do need to move it, you, know, you need to go under there and unlock it and, and move it. So, you know, those are two options that I've used to increase stability while still maintaining mobility. Sean, anything, any suggestions?
0: Oh, yeah. I wrote a lot about this exact question, as a matter of fact, because I copied it and pasted it twice in the sheet, and we both picked the same question. So, Oh, did we really? <laughs> I did. Like a Dummy, I pasted it in there twice. So Too bad. <laughs> yep, well, I'm going to delete it. Uh, you nailed it. I, my exact answer was going to be about the uh, Rockler Workbench casters that I use on my workbench. They're um, great. Absolutely. And the rest of the, my mobile or my machines have mobile bases that when you pop them up, they sit down on the ground so they don't move. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for the dust collection, I, I think that uh, yeah. he answered mm-hmm. his, own, his, answer his own question. Um, you, you know, you're going to have to run something. Otherwise, you're going to keep running. You're going to have to run some duct work on the ceiling. Otherwise, you're going to keep running stuff to your machine. Um, yeah. So, but one of the things that I would recommend doing before running any duct work is if you're planning on. Uh, upgrading any lights in your shop, get those done before you run anything along the ceiling so that you know where stuff's going to be because you'd hate to find a stud somewhere in the lights there, but Hey crap, now you got this duct work along your ceiling. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would get the lighting taken care of first and yeah. then do the duct work along the ceiling, drop it in a few spots. Uh, uh, one of the hoses in a few spots that you know, that you're going to be moving the tools to, And you don't need, you probably won't need, but you know, maybe three, three drops at most hopefully oh, yeah yeah so that that's kind of what what my answer is to uh <laughs> the same question guy
1: you guys pretty much you know answered the thing about the, the the mobile bases i use the same mates that that we uses before i built a workbench i had you know a, a an assembly table, it was pretty heavy, but it still moved around. I had good casters on it, didn't matter. It mm-hmm. still moved around, especially when doing things like hand planing. Yeah. Um, so what I did quite often was I have a, a planing stop, which is just a board with a, another board on the end of it, uh, kind of like a bench hook, but just bigger. And I'd put it on my table saw. And, oh okay yeah and use that as my workbench especially for like I said planing was the main reason because it'll just but then you have big long boards I didn't have a vice I mean it was just a real mess so that's why that's why I built that small little workbench cuz I needed a a good solid workbench and that thing really fit the bill um as far as the dust collection goes I have zero permanent ducting in my shop Mm -hmm. every machine with the exception of my table saw, that's not even true. If I have my table saw hooked up to it, the only time I have to hook up dust collection is if I'm using the drum sander or the CNC machine. Okay. But I've got flex hose hooked up to all my, all my tools and power. So once I roll the the tools off where they're going, that's it. I just set them down, and I'm I'm ready to go. I don't have to yep. plug in anything. I don't have to move, ducks or you know, um, hose around any of that stuff. I built a, a like a manifold on the front yeah. of my dust collector that has three or four hoses coming off of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I do is that's where I've got the blast gates,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and comes out of that manifold and goes directly to each machine. So I can, if I decide to change my shop around, I can move stuff around. I don't have to worry about ducting. Yeah. I don't have to worry about moving hoses. It, it's 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 actually really slick. And I did a video of it on my YouTube channel, Guys mm-hmm. Shop, not Guys Shop, Guys Shop.
0: I noticed the name change. Yes, branching out.
1: Change. Yes. So um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is. If you don't have the ability or the, oh, I can't think of a good word. You don't have the, the, you're not really looking to install all this piping in your shop. Think out the, think outside the box a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there might be another solution. Uh, now, you don't move
2: area. your dust collector around nope. a
1: lot,
0: right? Oh, yeah. Nope. yeah.
1: It sits in one spot.
2: There you
0: go. All right. Well, <laughs> since... That was my uh, second question as well. Pick another uh, one. Well, I think I'm going to just move right into discussing what I opened the show with and talk oh, about. Okay. Um, okay, this is my last episode. I will be retiring from the Woodshop Live podcast. It's been it's been a fun four years. You know, it's uh, we've this has been this started before COVID. Now we've gone past and through COVID. So we, uh, you know. It's been, been out there for four years. We have a hundred and this is 112 episodes, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an honor, you know, sharing the floor with you guys and glad that you folks listened. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it, but yeah, moving on to nothing, just retiring from (laughs) podcasting.
1: (laughs) Well, like I I said before, Sean, you're really going to be missed, um, Yep. you offer some really good insights to a lot of different things we're t- we're discussing, and uh, you know that's 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 got a lot of value. So
0: appreciate that. It's been it, it's been it's been a tough decision. You know we've been doing the, like I said for four years, 112 episodes every two weeks. We've only missed one episode. Yep, <clears throat> rather insane. So yeah, we've been pretty consistent. Yeah. And and
2: you've been a big part of that. And so thank you,
0: Sean. I've been 33% of that. Not bad, huh? <laughs> well, I mean,
2: you've been a big part as to why we were so consistent. You
0: know? Well, I appreciate it. But yeah, if you guys ever need a, a guest, holler at me. But it's been- you uh...
1: probably going to need a guest for the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
0: you guys will find someone. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so that, that is my, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about. That's my final, not final question, but final item on the podcast. So, um, can't, we can't wish, go up with, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I wish I would have known before we started this podcast. So Sean dropped this bomb at us, on us as we were getting ready to start recording. So if I would have known that we could have put together like a best of.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I thought about it. I thought about texting, but I was like,
1: eh.
0: I mean, literally up until I told you all, I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to do it. So,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. man, it's okay. tough. Yeah. You know, I don't,
1: yeah. you know,
0: I may, who knows, I may be a week from now, i be like, you know what, I made a mistake. Let's, uh, let's edit that out.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. But no. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, you all will go on and do amazing things, as they say, but Uh, Don't want to end on that. So let's, how about we switch over to uh, talk about what we got going on in the shop and I'm going to pick, Hui. what do you got? Oh man,
2: not much right now. I just feel like I kind of just needed a break from doing projects and I'm actually working. I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I, i received a couple of sewing machines and so I've been working on just getting them all timed out and ready to go and run. Um, I'll probably sell one and keep are you, one. Are
1: you making some poodle skirts or?
2: No, no. I want to do some upholstery. I want to do some, <laughs> huh. uh, yeah. Leather work. Um, you see so you got a few
0: Something. sewing machines. Do you, do you, what do you do? Repair them?
2: Well, I had one, so I bought one and the gentleman that I bought it from said, Hey, I'm going to send you the second one. I think it was a parts machine for this machine because there are a few things missing, but everything that I can tell works on it, had a working motor and whatnot. So he said that he was going to put it on the pallet with it. He did. Um, So I have two sewing machines and I think for, I don't know, 150 bucks more in parts that I could get the second one up and running and working. And uh, they're pretty valuable. At least somebody thinks they're valuable because they're used in industry quite a bit and continue to be used in industry. So who knows? Maybe I can you know, sell it on Facebook Marketplace or something for the same price that I got this, the one for, and that'd be nice. So that's what I'm doing, mm. is working on that. Cool. I'm almost done. So uh, I'll be happy because I'll, I will I do have a project I have to actually start working on, So, which is a, a table for my mother-in-law. You're going yeah. to sell
1: that together?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Had Back-to-back big projects, man. Yeah. Physically big. Yeah. All right, Guy. What do you got going on? I got
1: nothing going on. I had a a surgery last week. So I was out of work all week, and now I'm on restricted duty. I can't lift anything over 10 pounds. So um, I haven't gotten anything done. I've been sitting around a lot watching a lot of TV. Fun. Watching a lot of football. That's about it. Nice. Uh, I went back to work this morning, and uh, they've they've been very nice about um, all the time I've had to take off over the last, well, year since I started having some problems. Right. And uh, I'm surprised they haven't fired me yet. No. But they haven't.
2: They, so
1: They need you. They, um, more than likely, I will be, go- I, right now, I'm 50% on the Production floor and fifty percent working in the office. I do all the the CAD work there,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is SketchUp. We actually have SketchUp Pro, and that's actually a damn powerful program, more yeah. than the the freebie. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I think that there's going to come a time, not very in the very far future, where I'll be I'll be in the in the office full time. I'll, I'll, I'm going to become one of them. Uh oh. But I think that's probably a year or so down the road before something like
0: that happens.
1: Okay, so But that's it. What about you, Sean?
0: I have been attempting... Other than
1: making life-changing decisions, that affects everybody.
0: Oh Well, i tell you what. I started another podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, I've been trying to flatten this ash slab. And man, is that stuff hard. Um, oh, no. I'm using... Uh, Brent Jarvis, who is a, a fellow that submitted all kinds of mm-hmm. questions to us from Clean yeah. Cut Woodworking on Instagram, sent me one of his uh, slab flattening jigs, and it's really amazing, I uh, must say. Having one of those jigs where the router slides on it, um, it's really nice. Um, but. Yeah, so I, I had to get a rail extensions because I was trying to move the rails up and down, but then that wasn't going to work. So then I had to move it, and then I had to move it over to my assembly table to flatten it because it was too wide for my workbench. And mm. and then I needed to get a more powerful router because of the bit <laughs> that I have. So now I got a new router coming. Um, sooner or later, I'm going to have this thing flattened. But it, how, how big of a bit is it? Three inches. Oh, yeah, that's big big And I got a smaller bit, too. You know, I've got everything covered to where now when I get this router tomorrow, I'm going to flatten this slab.
1: I I saw the picture of that slab on Instagram. It's not that big of a slab.
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's it's, long. It's 80 inches, 81 inches long, and it's oddly shaped. It turns a little bit. So it's Mm -hmm. about 22 inches wide, give or take.
1: Yeah.
0: and this is for your coworker, right? No, it's a commission piece for oh. um, a buddy. Gotcha. But yeah, I've never worked with Ash before. It's pretty uh, pretty tough stuff. So just been trying to get in that flattened enough so I can flip it over. The base is done. Um, so I'm just trying to get this dang top flattened. And I remember now why I don't like dealing with slabs. Just
1: uh, break out your hand plane and yeah.
0: i got to take good. off like a half inch from the front and back. Totally, uh-huh. so I'm not uh-huh. using a hand plane.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Bring it on up and I'll throw it through our... our. Oh, no. Uh,
0: you tell me we you can't do that anymore. You try to get me to suck Well, me to drive
1: I, fa- I found out that we can use it for personal projects, the equipment. Well, I will meet you halfway. Have, is what I have found out. So um, hopefully the people there aren't listening to this. <laughs> but, but that's but that's what I understand because we had a problem where a guy took a commercial job.
2: Oh, okay. And
1: built like a hundred tables in our in our shop. Wow. Yeah, over the course that cool. of a couple weekends. Yeah, it was not it was not good. So the the we don't really have an owner since it's a, a not for profit. But the director said no more. Nobody's using this equipment for anything.
0: No, it's wear and tear.
1: Yeah. Well, that was a conflict of interest. Yeah, that that should have gone to the sales team at, at our place.
2: That's a big. Oh, conflict, that's
1: true. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And uh, anyways, anyways, I agree with the decision. From the guy doing it, and also the, the 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 director saying we're not doing it anymore. But we've got a new director or actually a vice president of production, who said it's okay to do small stuff. So I, if I brought a slab up there and ran it through it, it wouldn't be a problem.
2: Nice. Okay.
0: Cool. Well, I think that will do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the contact page on the website, not in the comments section. The contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. DM us text, not audio, please, because that has to be translated text only. We would also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings. And, of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Since I'm departing, um, you can follow along my journey after this at SimpleCove.com or at SimpleCove on Instagram and YouTube, which I do not post at, but I hopefully will sometime in the near future. Hui,
2: where can you be found? AlabamaWoodWorker.com. All the links to my socials are on my website.
0: And, Guy
1: guys shop on youtube and guys would shop on instagram
0: nice awesome thanks for listening guy and we it's been an honor yeah i will it's
1: been a pleasure
0: catch up with you on the flip side thanks for everyone for listening they will catch you in a couple of weeks see ya see ya, see ya.
1: guy come on get it in sean mm, bye